Welcome to IntelliKey Leadership Stories. Here's your host, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to IntelliKey Leadership Stories. So good to have you with us. We really appreciate you listening to us. We're, we've been expanding week over week. We're getting more listeners. Kirsten, isn't it exciting? We're on, we're on all these new platforms now, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Gosh, it's a world domination that we've always dreamt of. <laughs> I mean, that yeah, absolutely. And I think, Mark, you were sharing with me that we have exceeded the average podcast shows. Yes, of the one billion podcasts that are out there. That's right, that's yeah, right. We're on fire. Yeah, we're feeling good. We're doing good. Well, and, and on this show, those of you who have been listening week over week, you've heard some of the great guests we've talked to, but a lot of people are just catching up. So we thought we'd do a little Greatest Hits episode today and highlight a few of the guests. Kirsten, I'm reminded at the very outset of this, you and I said there are so many people out there with great beliefs or values or principles, but you know, what are their real life practice? Mm-hmm. And I think you and I have really been able to draw out some of these practical steps that people have to offer. That's right. That's right. And I think some of our favorites, and it's funny when I say favorites, I say that about every interview we do with every yes. person, right? I always say, oh my God, that's my favorite. That was right? awesome. That's right. <laughs> that was fantastic. But, you know, I, we had such a vivacious guest, Dr. Marissa, who was the embodiment of even what she titles her books and her practices. She, Her whole essence is she is the practice that she puts in place and it comes out of her. So we have so many great examples of how these people actually emanate from the practices they put in place, who they are. Yeah. So we thought we would compile, uh, and in this episode, we have four specific ones. We wanted to compile some very specific action steps, some techniques. So we asked each of these guests, would they have a piece of advice or would they have a technique they could offer us of something we could do to raise our vibration, to stay positive in these challenging times, or to communicate better, listen better, and create better connections. So yeah, we have Dr. Marissa, we have Liz Lewinson, we have Ashu Tripathi, Marie and Joe Wallace that we want to highlight. Let's start with Dr. Marissa. As Kirsten, as you said, I mean, she was just bouncing off the walls and it was the funnest. We simply went in all directions. We crisscrossed. We had so many stories and so many analogies, but it was just fantastic. So in this uh, clip, she shares with us a specific technique about gratitude. We really want to dive into these programs sort of, as the name of your book says, Eight Ways to Happiness. But, uh, you know, you have certainly, and in Kirsten's introduction, you've earned this moniker, the Asian Oprah. Uh, But I think you're like a female Asian Ryan Seacrest. You're everywhere. Um, (laughs) You've you've got everything working. Uh, So when you think about these opportunities, tell us about this program and tell us about these eight ways. And, you know, what, what should be people looking for from a process? Step by step, yeah. you know, where, where do you go from this attitude of frustration to this attitude of opportunity? Sure. And, and before we do that, uh, just so you know, I did not name myself the Asian Oprah. I would not yeah. have the balls to do that <laughs> at all. But, hey, when I can make the sound engineer laugh, I'm good, you know. Yeah. So I was introduced to Oprah as the Asian Oprah by Michael <laughs> Bernard Beck 
with who wrote the foreword to the book and is my big brother. And I call him that because he was the one, I wasn't always this like crazily positive. <laughs> I was like a, I was, and this is part of your answer on how to get there. So the first way to get out of the hair on fire is to stop and just take a breath through your nose in. Let's just do it now. Breathe in. <laughs> And release through the mouth, ah, soft shoulders, soft elbows, soft knees. Another deep breath in. And in the exhale, releasing all the stories and the drama. And one more deep breath in. Connecting with me through chi eternal energy, the breath of life that connects us all everywhere around the planet. If I breathe, I'm not taking a breath from you. There's more than enough to go around. We are alive right now in the present moment. The present is a gift. So unwrap it. So there's your first thing is we have abdicated the most important life tool we have to the media. And I'm part of the media, but, you know, when it (laughs) bleeds, it leads. And we're human beings and we have this proclivity towards I am drama, therefore I am. So we've lost sight of the most powerful tool, which is called choice. I have a choice every single day during this virus to wake up and the first thing grabbing my phone and looking on the news, and then you will not get out of bed. Uh-huh. If you do get out of bed, you go, you'll just go to the fridge or the liquor cabinet to numb the craziness that's going on in your head because you're reading this conspiracy or that conspiracy. You're reading this. We're never going to run out of money. This we're never going to blah. blah. So all of that is because you made that first choice to pick up the freaking phone. You can tell what series I've been watching. A forking phone and, and, and use your choice and focus to focus on things that you know is going to take you down a rabbit hole of never, never, never land. Don't do it. Step away from the device. First thing in the morning, sit up. Take that breath through the nose and release through the mouth. Do that three times. Didn't you feel just in three freaking breaths better than you did? I mean, you probably feel pretty good right now because I'm talking to you. But I mean, I'm talking <laughs> first thing in the morning. If you haven't had anybody yelling at you to be happy, right? You can, you can just take that breath. And when you take that breath and you realize that you're alive and now you have the opportunity And what I do is I set myself, I call it taking a bite of my gratitude sandwich. Mm -hmm. Dr. Wayne Dyer says five things that you're grateful for. I'm an overachiever. So I say eight (laughs) (laughs) and eight is a lucky number in Mandarin. Mm -hmm. I I would, I usually say Chinese, but made in China is not good right now. So (laughs) in Mandarin, (laughs) eight is a lucky number. (laughs) I know, I know you can't see me on the radio. Uh, ask Kirsten. I'm not, you know, I'm not Swedish. I know you thought yes. I was, but I am Chinese. So I go back to my Chinese words and eight's a lucky number. So eight specific things first thing in the morning to set your day with the top of the bun. So the top of the bun says, what are eight specific things that you are grateful for? And just a parenting tip right now, 
I did this with my kids every morning on the way to school, not eight, three specific things that you're grateful for. And, and anybody that carpooled with us had to do it. And my kids were just like mortified, right? Yes. This is my mom. She's a little weird, but there's always so many roads I could take. With this. <laughs> That's, yeah. We have parents right now who are homeschooling their children. Mm-hmm. Their life has stopped. They're managing jobs, full-time jobs still. And they now have to figure out how to put their kids in a homeschool. We're going back to old value systems. Like you said, like things that actually matter sitting at a breakfast table together or being together. So you really highlighted, you know, what are the values we're at bringing to our children? So yeah. Do you have any other advice to the parents? Absolutely. Uh, b- besides duct taping them to the ground. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> no, I mean, this whole practice of gratitude, you can do this first thing in the morning with your kids. So I first do it for myself because I need to set myself like the airline, you know, put the oxygen max yeah. for myself. I do eight specific gratitudes. You can't say friends or family too general. So I'm grateful that I get to splatter more of my hope and happiness here with this series, the leadership uh, series with you. I'm grateful that um, Kristen has such a great memory of me. I'm grateful for all the laughing that's happening, even from the sound engineer, which I know I'm good then. Uh, for I'm grateful for the fact that I just got ready for camera in two minutes. And five, I that's from eight years of modeling training. Five, I'm grateful that I am uh, so shy. Six, uh, I'm grateful that sarcasm is another service I offer. And seven, <laughs> I'm grateful that I'm going to be making dinner for my daughter tonight. Uh, and eight, that I have 88% fabulous relationships in my life with the people in my life. So there's eight that took uh, less than two minutes, right? Love it. Love you it, can love do it. Do it all. Well, that was a lot of fun. And if you want to hear the whole episode with Dr. Marissa, go back in our menu and you can find it there. So let's go to Joe and Marie Wallace right now. Wow, what a couple. And, you know, they're talking about couples relationships and they're talking about communication in a relationship. And they really embodied what that communication could look like and sound like. I mean, in this particular clip, they talk about, uh, you know, weekly family meeting, how to communicate and some other tips. Kirsten, what what was your takeaway from Marie and Joe Wallace? You know, I, I have the pleasure of knowing Marie individually outside of the podcast. So I have an added benefit. And my takeaway is that she's the real deal. You know, their marriage really is what they say it is. So that to me is a big deal because a lot of times you don't see what happens behind closed doors, right? You just don't know. We're so used to polishing up for the dinner table outside and you don't have no idea what's happening behind those closed doors. And, you know, Marie and Joe, they're real people, genuinely, authentically real. And what you see is what you get. And what I loved what she talks about, which is why it's such a brilliant combination of the two, is it can be, their techniques can be translated into anything. Relationships are inevitable. We live in a world that we have to act together, right? Where it just, our very own survival requires we work together. So their techniques are not just love relationships. They're really, it's really good information for all relationships. Mm -hmm, Totally. All right, let's take a listen to uh, the tips and techniques that we got from Marie and Joe Wallace. Leave us with a tool that if we said this afternoon, 
we're going to get together with our significant other with an intention of at least moving the needle in the right direction. What, what's a tool or an exercise or a process that we could go through that would take us there? You know, I, for me, I really like the set of time to talk. We will either do coffee or go on a walk. So after dinner, go on a walk uh, together and talk. Maybe you don't about talk. anything. Yeah, it could be about anything. About nothing. It could just be going on the walk. And we kind of do that with the gym, right? Well, um, when Joe first wanted to start the gym, it was, I'm going to go to the gym. And maybe it's go to the gym and drink some coffee. Maybe it's um, go to the gym <laughs> oh, yes. and then I'm just going to do push-ups. It's, it's just those little intentions every day. So just making that conscious decision to take time for each other. Because like um, Kirsten was talking about earlier, so a lot of couples are in the middle of a whole bunch of things. And if they can just commit to one thing and 30 minutes each week, or even if you could do 10 minutes a day, just some way to reconnect with each other. Just it can be talking or no talking. It's just that daily intention of doing something. Yeah. One other one I do is as a guy, I would uh, write a love note. Yeah, like three I words. Love notes are our favorite. I love you. You're awesome. Hmm, that's fantastic. We those love notes, guys. I'm telling you, just little sticky notes somewhere, or writing on the mirror with a dry erase marker that says what I appreciate about you. It goes both ways. But I'm telling you, when gals are really down and they look up and they see this note about what people appreciate about them, all of a sudden they're going, "Oh, <laughs> he he does he care does about me. Really, and it's that's four right. words. I love you. You're awesome. I guess that's five words." <laughs> We're really happy today to have as our guest, Ashu Tripathi. And I first met Ashu as a spiritual mentor and guide, as a trainer in the practice of meditation. And then I discovered that he is a successful business person. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. And, and thank you, Kirsten. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's wonderful to be talking about conscious leadership, right, which has been uh, one of my mantras of professional and personal life. Leadership is not about just guiding and, and giving direction. It is about developing uh, others and developing yourself, right, as much as, as you are contributing to others' development. And so when I think of conscious leadership, I, I really think of the part where you have the ability to be perceptive, to be having that wide and deep perception, to be having that trust, the ability to trust and empower and be a team player and not necessarily a leader. You are one of the roles within the team. And um, th that's how I have always perceived my job in uh, various process of, of growth during my career as, as I grew from an engineer in learning and getting mentored by some phenomenal leaders that I worked with in my life um, and learning to be better professional and today being fortunate to be that leader myself. And, and then let's jump right into the practice of meditation. Tell us a little bit about the specifics of the practice that you're a part of. So we practice the meditation methodology. It's called heartfulness way of meditation. It is a uh, part of an institute called Heartfulness Institute, which is globally recognized. It is a United Nations recognized institution for the betterment and wellness of humankind. It has its footprints in 100 plus countries across the globe. And we all are volunteer um, trainers and participants who are guided by our global guide, Mr. Kamlesh D. Patel. 
he's lovingly known as Daji, which uh, in in Hindi means uh, big brother. Um, so we all call him Daji, and and he guides us. And there are primarily two parts of this process. One is your meditation, your morning meditation, where you are focusing or you are developing the ability to focus. Different from concentration, you are able to collect and regulate yourself, regulate your mind, uh, gain more balance with your inner self and be in tune with nature so that you are simple and emitting love and trust with you. And then there is the other half of the practice which you practice towards the evening, which is called cleaning, which as the term indicates is pretty much of letting go. As we go through our day, we all have some good experiences, some bad experiences, some happy, some sad. There are conflicts at work, in family, in personal life and otherwise. And it's natural, right? We are all humans and it happens. But you have to have the ability to let go of it. Because when you don't let go, that's when it leaves these impressions within yourselves, which starts limiting your consciousness. And as your consciousness gets limited, your ability to make choices gets limited. And your depth perception gets limited. And the more of that happens, you get you start getting more constricted and covered uh, you know, by this boundary where you are not radiating that love and trust that you want to with your co-brethren around the world. So those are the two key parts of the practice that we do, morning meditation and evening cleaning. Well, it's been a terrific conversation, Ashu. Again, I can't thank you enough. And you've given us some really uh, practical guidelines. Let's see if I can recap them. Look, there's two great books. One is called The Heartfulness Way. The other is called Designing Destiny. Look at them as your favorite bookseller. There's a uh, just a fully resourceful website heartfulness.org. Check that out for all sorts of uh, reading and resources and masterclasses. And then a YouTube channel where you can get all of these great videos and resources. And then finally, the Hearts app where you can download uh, the resources and have have the Uber of meditation (laughs) at your disposal. I thank you for uh, that uh, analogy. I define power I looked at the most powerful thing I could find in this world of ours, and that's actually nature. Because every time there's a powerful phenomenon in nature, in fact, like look at a dam even, or how electricity and power is generated, it's water rushing through a dam. And those, the water, the power of the rushing water, then will keep turning some turbines and you end up with electricity generated. Movement does that. Look at all those windmills they're building now. It's movement of wind that generates the electricity and the power. So I'm saying that power, you're right. We all have this funny feeling about power. It makes us uneasy because we think of it as domination and control. I say, and this is what you see in the women leaders right now in the COVID-19 crisis, it's fluidity, change, and movement. And if you can act quickly, combined with this uh, greater sense, you know, there's a sense, obviously, other qualities of science and knowledge and education and collaboration, all the things they've learned and studied now about women leaders all come together, but really change movement and fluidity. That's my definition. And I guess uh, to you, to our earlier conversation, Kirsten, even talking about, you know, the, the rise of feminine power that if you have more power, I lose power. And, it, and is that the conflict that some of us are feeling right now? That's exactly that, right, Mark. So that's exactly right why I wrote The Power of Loving Man. 
So Liz, what advice do you have for women? Because you yourself were in technology, background, public relations, communications, and you have this Buddhist training. What do you have for women as they're going through? This is a shift. So culturally, what advice do you have for women and for men going through this transition? Let me start with the women because I think the women, as we know from the statistics, are not as much in in places of leadership. I would look around where I am. I would say collaboration is one of the best things for women that if there's any other women that you work with and you've never talked about this before, why not get together and say, how can we change things? Because our goal is to help our company. We have the skills and the insight and the training. Everything is on our side. Go read Forbes and look at the list. Go to the Harvard Business Review and look at the list where women are rated higher than men. See if you can go in together. I think that is one of the assets that could happen because in most cases, if a woman is completely isolated and sticking to herself and surrounded by all male leadership, it's not working for anybody and they should be aiming to wave the flag for the company. And I would say the same approach for men. I mean, I think that with men, no one wants no one wants to go down in their job level. I wouldn't suggest that, but I would just say to bring a new level of kindness and to do a more conscious job of helping the women go up the ladder and really being aware of their skill sets. In other words, that fear of promoting women, that just has to stop. It's wrong and it, it, it's going to lose money for the company. I think most of the women where I worked, I worked for year, a long time like a you know, financial firm, most of the women in the top positions, if they got a nice little email from three women in the tech department who just politely said, hey, we think we're running into this. Can you help us? The answer would have been yes. And, and when we reached out to you to uh, join us on this podcast and mentioned that it was called IntelliKey Leadership Stories, but what, what's your interpretation now that we've been talking about these innate qualities? If if IntelliKey is our human potential that's already inside of us. I think the most successful leaders that I know of have this inner quality that they rely on. I believe that IntelliKey is critical element of leadership. It has to be adopted. It has to be ingrained. And I think it creates less of a barrier between this, you know, when we're talking men and, and women, there, the, of course, there's no total d- dividing line. Where the thing merges and melds it is on the level of intuition and of course loving kindness is in women and there is power in men but we want it to be a little bit more evened out and shared and I think that's part of what you know we're talking about a different approach to so that leadership should never be somebody making anyone's life patriarchal dominating those qualities that people associate and not incorrectly and by the way more collaboration more communication skills more willingness to think outside of the box, all of these things. When did mindfulness become a practice for you? Most people, when you learn meditation, mindfulness is a company, but I, that, so that started, but I use it sometimes more than others. Uh, For me, mindfulness is just catching yourself when you're seeming the needles tilting more toward negative emotion. Again, this is another great thing for leaders, male and female, so that I, one very simple thing you can do then is just nice breathing, just deep breath and follow your breath in as you intake and out as you exhale and try to have no other thought. 
And then if in again with no thought, and you can picture some beautiful light around you as you do that. In and out. If you do that a few times in a stressful situation or a situation where you're dipping into emotions that seem negative to you and they drain your energy, which is proof of negative emotions, then try mindfulness. So I've been doing that for a long time and always found it helpful in business because when everyone else is freaking out, <laughs> you, the mindful person, can stay calm. How do you see these practices elevating both male and female? It's really about a human existence. We coexist for the betterment of all. So with this, you know, finding your center and charting your own course and really tapping into IntelliKey, what do you see as possible for our future coming out of COVID-19? Well, my rosy picture is <laughs> that we'll start with women actually do get to lead more and get recognized for their leadership qualities because that will actually help everything. I think it will help heal the planet because I think way too much of this domination and troll thing, it's, 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 it's just devastated our world. And so that I, I feel that uh, I would like to see kinder interactions, that more overt love and kindness and support is shown. Well, I think those were some terrific thoughts from Liz Lewinson. And Kirsten, as we wrap up this sort of greatest hits compilation of these four guests, you know, what, what an interesting thread through this. You know, because a lot of people would say, Joe and Marie, you know, it was sort of a, the soft skills of managing a relationship. And you know, right. Joe, Joe had some thoughts on how to better connect with the feminine side of your partner, like you said. You know, all the way to Dr. Marissa even commented, you know, not in this clip, but she had commented throughout the podcast how domineering some of her, uh, you know, dates or, uh, you know, her former husband and, you know, other people thought, you know, hey, you're, you're awfully uh, strong here. You know, you're kind of dominating this. Uh, but I mean, along the way, you say these, these softer side of life skills, um, we really need to be more in touch with. And I think that's a common theme that I took away from all four of these particular guests. Mm, you know, I really love that because as you're talking, what was running through my head was what would it be like if in our daily interactions, we all took a softer approach? What would be happening? We would, our interactions with each other would be a lot different. The conversations that are difficult to have may go a little better, <laughs> right? Because there are some very difficult conversations being had right now, and there's a lot of anger. So what would happen if we were taking that active listening and softer side to an put that into a way of being right now. I think it can make a huge difference. I th think there'd be some big impact. Yeah. And, and maybe people think uh, the softer side, you know, by using that term means the weaker side or the sort of re resignation side. That's not what we're talking about here, but rather the emotional intelligence or the, you know, awareness, like you said, of, you know, there are two people in this relationship and there are multiple viewpoints in this group and there are so forth and so on. That uh, just because I'm saying the word soft skills doesn't mean they're any less important uh, than the yeah. other skills that we have, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And you know, the the word I that there's a conversation that many women and I have, and you know, to, to be a mother 
it really, there's a softer essence to it. But at the same time, when you think about it, there's very masculine attributes in being a mother, right? There is just, a mother has to find that perfect balance of when to use softness and when to be tough. And when you really look at what a mother does, a mother has a huge role, both in ancient tribal communities, in a home, right? There's just so much that goes with it. And if, I don't know a mother that's soft. I just don't. <laughs> they may be kind and loving, yes. Yes. right? And tender and gentle. But soft is not how I would define a mother. So when we talk about soft skills, I really think about that mother. Like It takes an incredible amount of strength to raise a child. Well, and the analogy that pulls to the concept of leadership. Right. Yeah, they're, they're raising a family, but they're leading a family. I mean, there's a very strong matriarchal, you know, tradition behind that. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this uh, compilation. I thought these four guests and the thread that went among these interviews was very strong. Kirsten, again, it just reminds me how lucky we are to talk to some of these great people. We'll continue sharing these interviews, huh? That sounds great. I love it. I'm so excited to re-listen to our beautiful guests. We look forward to having you on the next episode. We'll have another uh, great example of a leader and the journey that they're on and reaching their full potential. Until next time, here's to your IntelliKey as you grow as a leader in your own life. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories with your hosts, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn or visit our websites, www.pureintellikey.com and www.mark-stenson.com. Thanks for listening to Intellikey Leadership Stories.